Welcome to the Bible Q&A Podcast, the show that answers your questions about the Bible, Christian theology, and church history. This podcast is brought to you by Risen Ministries and Creation Today. Now here are your hosts, Tim Chafee and Eric Hoven. We're going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, as we mentioned in our first episode, uh, sometimes the show is going to have a little bit of a different format. So it's not always going to be just, hey, here's four questions or three questions and answer. Today, we're going to do something a little different. We want to offer a direct response to some of the tweets and a video that was recently produced by a conservative Catholic blogger and writer for the Daily Wire, uh, Matt Walsh. Many of you may have heard of Matt, and um, he's recently written some things and said some things that... Uh, People have been asking a lot of questions about, so we want to address those. You know, Tim, when I saw the tweets from Matt expressing the fact that he couldn't see how anyone could believe in a six-day creation, I ended up chiming in on the conversation. And then he made a video about his position. Well, actually, Tim, to be fair, we should still start this show off with a response to a question. By the way, if you have a question, you can send those in to bqa at creationtoday.org. bqa at creationtoday.org. Today's question comes from Eric. Yes, that's me. Hey, what do you think of Matt Walsh and the video he made about young earth creationists, Tim? <laughs> well, Eric, thanks for sending in the question. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> Yeah, as I mentioned, we want to respond to that video and uh, to some of the tweets that he he posted. You know, I, you told me about it. Um, I heard it from several other people. In fact, I think that um, uh, some of the folks in uh, the ministry I work with, Answers in Genesis, I think they've responded to it. And so I listened to his video the other day, and it was really, it was it was it was sad. Really, I think that was my um, my initial reaction because in in so many cases, in fact, almost every single point he made. He doesn't. He shows that he doesn't have a clue what we actually believe, and so here he is criticizing a position that that he doesn't even understand. He doesn't mm. know the arguments. He knows the main big thing that oh, you guys believe God made everything in six twenty-four hour days, just thousands of years ago. He understands that part, but then every other detail, he, it's very clear he doesn't even know what he's talking about. And and I mean that in sincerity. I'm not trying to uh, ridicule Matt. He's a talented writer. He's um, you know, he, he's. Uh, very popular as far as blogging goes. Uh, he's written a lot of great articles on uh, pro-life that I really appreciate. Um, he, so he's done uh, many things. It's not like I'm a follower of his, so I don't read everything that he writes, but I, I've read uh, a half dozen or maybe a dozen of his articles, and, and many times I like what he says. Um, but when it comes to this, I mean, it's roughly a 40-minute video where he tried to explain why he's not a young earth creationist, and that came out of a series of tweets where he essentially just said that he wasn't, and then people responded, and and uh, you know how Twitter debates can go, <laughs> usually not the best forum for doing debate. And, it is a tough, uh, tough place to debate. Right, and uh, let's let's be fair, uh, you know, Eric, some people on our side, when they debate on social media, um, they're not always the best behaved, they're not always uh, very, well, you can't be thorough, but a lot of times what happens, and this is, a, you know, I'm stereotyping a little bit here, um, but sometimes somebody will say, well, I don't agree with X, you know, or I, I don't agree with this one thing about the age of the earth or something. And unfortunately, some people on our side, well, you just, um, you're a heretic or you just don't believe the Bible or you just don't. And they jump to this conclusion right away that makes it sound like we're putting all of our, we're staking our entire belief system, our, everything we 
believe on the age of the earth, and that's just not that's not true. We stake our beliefs in the gospel message of Jesus Christ, uh, the yeah. death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It, it doesn't. The age of the earth is not a salvation issue. Um, both our ministries have made that point time and time and time again, and yet we're still accused of it, partly because there are people who are a little bit overzealous when they respond. <laughs> uh, so I, I want to caution people. You know, if you listen to uh, Ken Ham when he gives one of his relevance talks, he unfolds that for 45 to 50 to 60 minutes to explain. He doesn't just jump right out in the first thing and say, hey, if you don't agree with, or if you don't if you don't believe in that the days in Genesis were 24-hour days, then, you know, you're not you're not accurately interpreting the Bible. He doesn't just jump right into that from the very beginning. He lays that out and explains why. And how many times has he given that very talk? Because I go for, for, for people, and we're going to go through this in, in the video, or in the, in the uh, podcast today, for people to continually misrepresent what young earth creationists believe or say that, hey, you guys are making a salvation issue out of something that's not a salvation issue. We do believe it's incredibly important. It is mm-hmm. not a salvation issue, though, but it's underneath that when it comes to importance on doctrine. Yeah, we would say it. Well, we don't have, I guess that's not really the point of the show today, but <laughs> it's to, to talk about some of these things it is. But yeah, it's, it's foundational in the sense that it, it does set up or it does establish the, the foundation for why we need a Savior, uh, for why the world is the way that it is. Um, and it, it reflects God's character when we talk about the way that he created. And so there's a lot of things that are very important in it, but it isn't in and of itself. It's not the gospel message. Um, so, Eric, I mentioned that when I was listening to this this video that Matt did, I, I just found myself groaning audibly time and time again <laughs> as I was walking. Like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And, and I mean, rule number one, if you're going to critique something or someone, understand their position. And it would take him all of five or ten seconds to Google some of these things. It's not as yeah. if our, these views are held in, in secret. And we're going to go through some of these things in just a m- moment here. What, and what we really want to do is kind of go tweet by tweet um, and uh, little sections of his video. Yeah, and you're not talking, hey, he's got one point that's kind of, hey, you should have said it like this, Matt. We're talking incredibly, terribly, almost, almost every, wrong. Yeah, almost every single thing he said about the young earth view is wrong. <laughs> when he, when he and and I'm not trying to be you know over the top here. It, I I mean that when he's describing our position, almost every single thing that came out of his mouth was wrong. It, yeah. He just he shows that he doesn't even understand what he's critiquing, and and that that's unfortunate in a couple of ways. One, it, it continues to spread misinformation about us, but two, it reflects really poorly on him. And he he's done a lot of great things in terms of standing up for. Uh, if you could say socially conservative values in in this country, uh, and so the, the people who like him for those things, who happen to agree with us, might look at him and say, "You know what? I'm not listening to that guy anymore because he he doesn't even know what he's talking about." And if if he doesn't know what he's talking about in this issue, maybe when it comes to some of the other issues, he doesn't really know what he's talking about either, and he's just you know just running his mouth. Which uh, I don't want to. I'm going to assume the best about him. You know that yeah. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt that when he writes about most things, he does understand them but we've been in this uh ministry long enough eric to to know that young earth creations are often misrepresented uh quite a bit so uh, eric do you think that it's worth watching his video yeah that's a that's a, when you describe the video with everything we've said here for the first few minutes of the podcast kind of setting up what we're about to go through i have to ask that question okay people are going to be going give me the link i want to go watch this video what is he saying 
Honestly, I mean, if you if you believe young earth creation and you already know the arguments and you just want to see somebody misrepresent them, maybe. But no, not really. I mean, be, just because there's so much misinformation there, I go, just study the truth instead. It's it's somebody who, well, let's, let's start going through these. Go through the video and then let's go through some of the tweets because I enjoyed chiming in on some of his Twitter conversation. Uh, okay. Let's go through these, and and by the end of this, you'll you can make a determination on whether or not you want to go spend forty minutes of your life watching his video on misrepresenting young Earth creation. Yeah, and well, let's let's start just by saying I don't have a problem with Matt expressing his views. Uh, Agreed. If, yes. if somebody disagrees with us, by all means, explain why. I, I I have no problem with that. And if um, you know, if he wants to come out and say, here's why I'm not a young Earth creationist, fine, explain that. But don't continually misrepresent the position or misrepresent scripture which he he starts off his video after a few minutes he he's he's trying to explain that the bible isn't supposed to be taken literally in every single case and everybody agrees with that you know when if you hear us say we interpret the bible literally which eric and i won't say that we interpret but some young earthers will you know kind of shorthand in a <laughs> short yeah. speak saying, well, we interpret literally. Well, no, we interpret it according to the plain language of that genre. So, right. when so they, we when interpret it according to the, the, according to what it's supposed to be interpreted by. If it's poetry, we take that as poetical. If it's historical, take that as historical. So when, if we use the, the word literally, you mean literally according to what it means. Uh, yeah, it's, it's better to say, it, instead of saying literally, it's probably better to say in the, in the plain language. Uh, in the, the plain sense of the wording in that genre. And it, it's so easy to tell most of the time, in fact, almost every time, um, if something is poetic or something is narrative. If you want examples of that, just turn to uh, Exodus 14 and then look at Exodus 15. You have the Red Sea crossing in a historical account, and then you have the Red Sea crossing in a poetic account. And it's so easy to tell that they're about the same thing, the same event, they're describing the same thing, but they're so different in how they're worded. The same thing happens in Judges 4 and 5 with uh, Deborah and Barak in the battle against Sisera. You have the narrative and then you have the poetic. And it's so easy to tell the difference. And so anyways, so he sets up this straw man already to say that, you know, young earth creationists say you got to take everything literally. And then he goes on and says, well, the parables in the New Testament, Jesus spoke in parables. Those aren't literal. When he talks about the prodigal son, he doesn't want us to think that the prodigal son is a real historical person. So that's uh, non-literal, obviously. Well, yeah, we would agree with him. But then he goes on and said, and gives a couple other examples in the New Testament um, where Jesus is telling a parable or something is obviously told as a story or something that is obviously symbolic. And then he says, and so if the New Testament, if God used these stories in the New Testament, then um, surely he would have done that in the Old Testament too. It's not that he's just coming up with this right away. And then he transitions to Genesis chapter 1 saying that, well, see, we didn't have to take these things literally. So maybe, and he doesn't really even say maybe, it's so Genesis 1 is should be understood that way as well. Well, here's what, here's what struck me as he, he said that. The reason Jesus spoke in parables, Eric, was why? Was it so that people would understand him easier? Or <laughs> would, it so, would, would it be that they didn't understand him? No, he specifically said to his disciples, I'm doing this so that they don't understand. I'm doing this for a reason. Only those that understood really where he's at, he's the Messiah, the things of, uh, that have been taught in Scripture, would understand what he was teaching. Other people would not understand what he's teaching. Yeah, it's, it's really so that the people who wanted to understand and the people who wanted to follow him, they would get it. But the people who did not, the people who uh, were against him, 
they it would go over their head. They wouldn't understand what he's talking about. Why is this guy talking about seeds and and planting <laughs> these things in the ground? What you know? What what is this all about? That's why he spoke to them that way, so that they would not understand. And, and part of the reason is because he knew his mission was to go to the cross. But um, then, so taking that concept of the parable, Jesus speaking that way so that they don't understand, do you think that's why God gave us Genesis 1 so that we don't understand? <laughs> or is it, no. so that, so is, or is it so that we would understand and that people of average intelligence and maybe even lower intelligence could read this and say, oh, okay, I, I understand what he means. Or is he trying to hide from us what he really meant? No, it's very clear. It's written in a historical narrative style. And the whole the whole idea is to give the Jewish people, hey, here's a true history of where you came from and what's coming in the future. And the whole point of the Old Testament in general and all of Genesis pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. So, no, it's uh, definitely not written as a parable unless unless we're going to allegorize the entire Bible and say the whole need for salvation is a parable. The whole idea of death is a parable. The, you would have to, you'd have to turn everything into a, I think I said parable. Yeah. Parable. You'd have to turn everything into a parable at that point. Yeah. There, there's a, a great book um, th- that Terry Mortensen, uh, one of my colleagues that he, he put together uh, called coming to grips with Genesis. And there's several chapters and they're explaining the genre of Genesis chapter one or, and really Genesis one through 11. This isn't some primeval history that's just made up of all sorts of symbols borrowed from the Babylonians. It is real historical narrative, just like you would find in the rest of the chapters of Genesis or in Exodus or Leviticus and, and you know, throughout the historical books in the Old Testament. So just on that big picture thing, Matt misses, but let's get into some of the details of some of the yeah. things he tweeted Here's what, here's what he actually says. Okay, so I started uh, following this on Twitter. I got I, I subscribed to him. I follow him. He's got 172,000 followers on Twitter. He said, I've never understood how anyone who has actually read the creation story in Genesis could come to the conclusion that the earth was made in seven 24-hour periods. And then he kind of clarifies, the sun doesn't even exist until the fourth day. There can't be a 24-hour day without a sun by definition. And then he continues, he says, also, there is no such thing as a literal day. Day is a relative term. The length of a day depends on which rock in space you happen to be sitting on. He said, we need to, again, he's, he's tweeting these over and over, and then people are responding. And so he's, he says, you need a sun to have what we consider a day. If we're talking about a day in some cosmic transient sense where the light is non-physical, then there is absolutely no reason at all to assume that it was a 24-hour Earth day period. Wow, Tim, you said a lot there. Uh, let's just start going through these tweets. I'm going to stop right there. Let's start going through these and unpackaging some of the misrepresentations. Well, it's, um, it's, it's interesting that he starts off by saying, I never understood how anyone could actually read the creation story uh, in Genesis and come to the conclusion that Earth was made in seven 24-hour days. Well, uh, technically, Earth was made six 24-hour <laughs> days. God rest on the seventh. But beyond that, um, the vast majority of people in uh, ancient Judaism, uh, the, the ancient Jews prior to the time of Christ and even after there, have interpreted it that way. Yeah, uh, the vast majority of interpreters up until the t- or late 1700s, actually the early 1800s, uh, we talked about the gap theory in a recent episode, up until then interpreted them as literal history. Why? Because that's what 
it, that's how it reads. That's the, the language that's used. Now, he tried to cite Augustine and some others and mentioned, see, they didn't take it. Well, Augustine allegorized just about everything. And I, I do know a little bit about this. When I had a doctoral seminar on Augustine, um, I wrote a 30-page paper on his different commentaries on the Genesis chapter 1. And you can go read that on the Answers Research Journal website, uh, the, the way that Augustine interpreted Genesis chapter 1, different ways in different commentaries. And he allegorized just about everything. So I'm not going to cite him as a source of, of how to properly interpret certain things in the Bible. But the, let's deal with this issue of the length of the, of the day. Eric, yeah, I you... just look, before you hit that, it is interesting. I mean, for, for somebody as smart as he is to say, I've never understood how anyone could take this as literal when throughout most of time and history, people have done just that. And a plain reading of the text teaches that. So it, it, it's, and I know we'll get to this, but it's, it's only, it's only with the idea of evolution in millions of years that people have begun really trying to put that into the text and say that possibly it's it's long periods of time. But I know Yeah, well, that wasn't necessarily Augustine's goal in doing that, but it's, Augustine's right. goal was more to allegorize just about everything. I mean, in his commentary that he called a literal commentary, in fact, he had a literal commentary than the unlit unfinished literal commentary. Um, so he did multiple commentaries on Genesis 1, and he changed his view over and over again. But even in his literal one, he viewed the on day five, the creation of the swimming creatures and the flying creatures, he didn't believe that was about the swimming creatures and the flying creatures. He said that's about the, the sea creatures were the unregenerate mass of humanity and the birds are the uh, the redeemed humanity. Wow. Well, that, that's not Man's not even made till the next day. That's... Just, but that's how he treats Genesis. So I'm not going to cite him as an authority on how we should interpret Genesis because he... Well, we don't have time to get into the history of Augustine. Maybe that's a, if you want a church history question. <laughs> right, uh, you, write it in, bqa yeah. at creationtoday.org, and you can ask about Augustine. Right, we got to get to some of these things. So, Eric, do you need to have the sun in order to have a 24-hour day? Absolutely not. The sun Why is that? Nothing. To, a a 24-hour day is based on one rotation of the earth on its, on its axis. That's where we get the 24-hour day from, not from the sun, not from the moon, it's one rotation of the earth, and the earth was made on day number one. So right away, you're able to have a 24-hour day. So how can you assume that the earth was spinning on day one? Because uh, don't, you, don't you have to assume that it was rotating on its axis in order to have a, a normal length day? How, why would you assume that? Well, right there in the scripture, the Bible says evening and morning. And so automatically, I'm, evening and morning, you're already doing a rotation. Where did you get the morning from? How do you get light? Yeah, well, God on the at the very beginning said, "Let there be light." There, so He He was light, and okay, it's interesting and because because this is one of the points that He brings up, and He and, and I see people frustrated with, and you could probably explain this better. The word used for light in Genesis one uh, uh, three, uh, in the, yeah, in one three, it, right there, it's 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 the word for literally the light that's produced, the the or that uh, is the word in Hebrew, from my understanding, and then the source for the light. The sun, midday four, is mayor. We only have one word for light. These lights are producing light. Well, in Hebrew, it would be these uh, mayors are producing ors, um, if I got that correct. Is that right? Uh, that sounds right. Uh, I'm not going to claim to be the uh, Hebrew expert <laughs> on everything, but I, I can look it up, and if that's not right, we'll correct it on a later episode or maybe edit great. that part for out. For now, that sounds right. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm accurate there. No, that sounds I'm, right. Uh, I've heard that before, but the... Um, Here's the problem. 
obviously it's not an all-encompassing light on day one because you've got light and dark. Mm-hmm. So it apparently is a directional light source coming from one direction, lighting up part of the earth, but not all of the earth. And if you have an evening and a morning, that implies the earth is already rotating. Well, what's the earth made out of? And, you know, he goes on and uh, Matt criticizes this. Well, you can't even tell me what day one is like at all because it tells the earth was formless and void. And what's a formless earth look like? Well, he's misunderstanding that term tohu va bohu the, the, that we talked about when we talked about the gap theory. It doesn't mean that there is no form whatsoever at all. It tells us that the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. If you've got water, you've got some form there. Um, just if we do a little bit of deduction here, we, we use a little bit of reason, um, it would seem like the earth originally was water. Yeah. And that Second Peter talks about that, uh, that, that God made the earth you know, out of water. Uh, that's how it starts. And then, uh, so it seems Even like you got... in Psalms, it talks about you know how the, the, the earth was founded as that, uh, on, on the great deep and... Yeah, like so in the beginning you've got water, then God makes light, and then um, you've, since you have evening and morning, apparently you've got a rotating earth. You've got a 24-hour day. It doesn't matter if man isn't there yet to measure it. It doesn't matter if the sun is there yet or not to, to mark it. Um, you have God telling us it was one earth rotation. And that to me is the day. big thing. This is God telling us that this is what it was. Right. So is the is the day subject to or is it relative to which planet you're on well <laughs> yeah in a sense it is i mean yeah if you're on if you're on pluto it, the rotation time is different than what earth is but the bible's not written for people on pluto it's not written for people on saturn or for on mars it's focused on the earth in fact the earth is made before the other planets let's just say yeah the other planets didn't come along until day number four right so <laughs> it it's so painfully obvious what is intended here when it, which day is being spoken about there aren't other planets yet, and God's not going to secretly send us a message that says, oh, I've really meant Jupiter days, um, <laughs> even though you guys are all on Earth and nobody would ever think that until, you know, thousands and thousands of years later that maybe it might mean that. No, he's not hiding this from us. He's coming right out and telling us what he did. So the, the whole objection, and I've heard this one many times about how the sun wasn't made till day four, you got light on day one, what was the light? Well, Guess what? God doesn't tell us. He just says, let there be light. Now, it could be that God himself is providing the light, and some people balk at that, but you have that in Revelation 21 and 22 hmm. in the New Jerusalem the, it, during the, the eternal state. You have uh, no need of the sun because God himself, or the Lamb, is the light. Hey, I want to, uh, as we go through these tweets, because I know we've already been going for 20 minutes here, a little more than 20 minutes, and we got about 10 minutes. we got a lot of tweets to go through. L- uh, let me hit this one, because this, to me, it's right here in the middle of the podcast. I think this kind of gets the crux of the issue that we're going to end up getting to by the end of the podcast. Here's what he says in this tweet. He says, the reason this matters is that science absolutely definitively tells us the universe was not formed in a seven-day period. No legitimate scientist anywhere will dispute this. So if you're unnecessarily married to the seven-day creation, which you need not be theologically, he says, then that means you must do two things. Completely reject modern science altogether, which confirms the atheist suspicion that we are all anti, or excuse me, that we as Christians are anti-science fools. And two, claim that God made the universe to look older so as to deceive us, which makes God a deceiver. All right, that was two different tweets I put together because that was one conversation. We could spend the rest of the episode just on that. But Tim, let's start unpackaging that one. Yeah, and I want to go through this one 
somewhat quickly because I want to get to some of these misrepresentations that he has because that's how we started the show is by saying, look, he really misrepresents young earth. Well, how does he do that? Let me, let's explain in a little bit here, but let's real quickly deal with his tweet. Um, well, first he uses the fallacy, the no true Scotsman fallacy that, um, well, there's no legitimate scientist anywhere who will dispute that because if you dispute that, like many of the people I work with, like Danny Faulkner, who happens to be an astronomer, PhD astronomer and taught astronomy for years and years and years at the, at the university, uh, it's, here's a legitimate scientist who disagrees. But what right. he's doing is saying, well, if you disagree, you're not a legitimate scientist. <laughs> That's yeah. a fallacy. Uh, we don't reject science. And what Matt misunderstands here is the philosophy of science. He, under, he misunderstands what science can and can't address. He, he confuses or conflates operational science like chemistry. You know, you, you study a chemical reaction, you mix these things together, you see what happens, you can study it, you can repeat it, you can do it over and over and over again and test it and see if it continually holds true. He confuses that with origins or historical science where you it's more like forensic science. You, ha you have a, a crime scene and you, you see a little bit of evidence here and a little bit of evidence there and you're trying to piece together what might have happened. And that's what's happening with paleontology. They, they're finding a, a bone here, a bone there or a skeleton here. And they're trying to the skeleton itself is not origin science. It's there. But when you're trying to piece together its environment and tell us what its habits were and tell us what, you know, all the different things, that's when you're engaging in in this historical or, or uh, origin science. You're you're making educated guesses about the past. And he conflates the two as if they are the same thing and they're not. Now, yeah. people, what people usually will do is they'll, they'll say, well, young earthers are the only ones that ever talk about that. You won't hear um, scientists, real scientists address that. Well, because as soon as they do, they they lose the debate. If they were to admit that there's a difference between operational and origin science, then the debate's over. Because then it, it shows that this is really a matter of worldviews and how our starting points. And they don't want to admit that. They want to portray it as science versus faith or um, you know, fact versus religion, that kind of thing. And it just isn't. It's, a, it's two different starting points, two different worldviews looking at the same evidence and reaching different conclusions. You know, when he says this means to, well, he, he starts off by saying science absolutely definitively tells us the universe was not formed in seven days. And then he says, you know, number one, you have to completely reject modern science altogether. I go, well, what about all the people who not only don't reject science, like Danny Faulkner, like you said, but there are many young earth creationists that came to the position that the earth and the universe are young because of the science. You know, to, to flatly deny that in the video, it contradicts the testimony. Uh, personally, I'm surprised. I, you know, you and I, we travel and speak on this. We go to churches. I always hear people, after giving some, some pieces of evidence, some, some scientific facts, I'm always surprised by how many people who have, have never heard this evidence and the conclusions that end up pointing to a young earth and a young universe. Whether we're talking about uh, the human population, the amount of sediment on the ocean floors, the erosion rates, uh, the human genome and, and the, the genetic load that is in the human genome right now and how that can only go back so far. Comets one evidence in the solar comets system. In the yeah. solar, just one after another, I go, there are so many facts that do point to a young earth. And I'd, I'd be willing to say Matt has probably never been exposed to a majority of those ideas. He's only looked at one side and then said, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Matter of fact, I read an article by uh, a, 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 an individual who contrasted Matt's video to Ken Ham's response. And in the, in the, in the article, the author admits uh, just outright, hey, listen, I, I've never really studied the whole younger thing in depth. 
And then the rest of the article is, hey, you guys are wrong. Let's get over this. Let's, let's just, let's move on. We don't need to discuss this. It's just, it's an, it's a self-admission that they haven't really looked into this evidence. Yeah. And, you know, Matt said that he's worried that they're going to see us as anti-science fools. Well, I wonder, Matt is a, <laughs> a practicing Catholic. I'm pretty sure that he would affirm the virgin birth, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm pretty sure that he affirms those things and, and I'm glad he does. Um, those but, are anti-science. Yeah, aren't they? I mean, they, they're, you, you have to have a miracle going on here. And um, the, the majority of these scientists that would say, no, that didn't happen. I can't have it. Well, I don't care if somebody thinks I'm a fool for believing what God has told us. I, that, that doesn't bother me. Um, I don't want to come across as, I don't want to act like a fool. I don't want to be a jerk about things. Um, but I do want to present things in an even-handed manner. And hopefully we're doing that with Matt today. I don't want to uh, come across as over the top. And uh, I don't, I don't want to treat him uh, the way that I think he's treated young earthers. I, I want to be respectful toward him, but it, it's difficult when the everything that he says about your view is just false, and I think it needs to be corrected. When he says that, uh, you know, number two, this claim is, says that God made the universe to look older so as to deceive us, that makes God a deceiver. And Tim, I've often used the phrase, well, God created the universe mature with, and I've even used this phrase, with the appearance of age. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about this ahead of time, and you said, actually, I wouldn't use that word. How, how would you say Yeah, that? well, here's, here's the problem. When, if you think about Adam and Eve in the garden, if you were to meet them at, near the end of day six, if you could take a time machine and go back and, and see them, what, how old would they look? Uh, the perfect age, forty, obviously. 40. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> um, but yeah, how they old... probably looked like they were in their twenties, even though they were just just brand new. Yeah, they were mature, but they were brand new. They were made that day. Uh, so you can say that's an appearance of age. People would look at it and say that's an appearance of age. There's a, but that's a little bit different than when when you're talking about the Earth or the universe, the solar system, those kind of things. Um, people say, well, the universe looks old. How do you know? What other universes have you compared it to that you <laughs> that you know the age of something? The reason we know the reason we know that Adam and Eve would look like they're in their twenties or whatever age they might be is because we know what a twenty year old looks like because we have other ones to compare that to, and so that whole idea of the appearance of age isn't really legitimate when you're dealing with the universe or the solar system or the Earth itself because you have nothing to compare it to, and. Uh, so when they talk about, well, look at all these rock layers, and we'll get to that in a little bit because he brings those up. Uh, no, we don't believe that God created the earth full of all these rock layers uh, and with fossils in there already just to deceive us, which is what Matt implies and actually comes right out and says in the video. That's not at all what we believe. And it would take him five seconds to search Google or Answers in Genesis website or any of the leading creations websites to realize that's not what we believe. He says this, I agree with William Lane Craig and Thomas Aquinas on this. There's no reason to believe that the animals were immune from death before the fall. Scripture does not say that explicitly. Yeah, that, that has to do with our, uh, the, one of our important claims that we make, that there was no death before sin. God said, you eat of Adam the day that you eat of this fruit, you're going to die. Uh, we believe that when Adam did sin, that brought death and suffering and bloodshed and disease into the world. But... Um, Think about this. In Genesis 1, 29, God tells Adam and Eve they're supposed to eat plants. Originally, they were vegetarian. Um, I'm glad I really wasn't back then. Yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> I wouldn't uh, survive very long. <laughs> I like the post-flood world where God says That's you can right. eat meat. Um, but in, in, Genesis, in the next verse, he tells them that the animals are supposed to eat plants. 
So in other words, the animals weren't killing animals for food. All the birds were supposed to eat plants. They weren't killing other animals. They weren't scavenging. There's a, there's a hint right there or a very strong implication that there was no death before sin. And death is an enemy. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says that the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. What Matt is really saying is that God made a world full of death, suffering, disease for millions upon millions upon millions of years of animal suffering of of these creatures that are, you know, wonderful creatures that God made. And, uh, you know, lions tearing apart zebras and dinosaurs tearing apart other creatures. All these different things, all this suffering, all this death. And then he looked back and everything and says, hey, that's very good. I love it. That's essentially what Matt's saying. Notice what that does to the character of God. He's a God who loves death and suffering. Hmm. Rather than the God who is holy and just and pure and merciful and loving, as, as we read about in Scripture. And in him there is no darkness. Matt also said this, I'm saying that I have no idea how long God took, and I would never dare impose my limitations on him. Well, Matt... I got to be honest, you, you kind of are doing that. You are imposing modern science on the one who created the universe and created the science. You're saying that because right now in modern science, we believe that it's uh, more than uh, uh, 6,000 years old or whatever you, whatever you claim. Therefore, we know God could not have done it in seven days like he says he did it. So, yeah, and I, I would tweak that a little bit. I'd say that he's imposing the views of many modern scientists, the majority of modern scientists. I, I don't think science is saying that at all. In fact, science doesn't say anything. It's the scientists who are saying it. But yeah, he's imposing the views of the majority of scientists upon the, the text, and he's trying to make it say something it doesn't say. And there are other places in Scripture where God very clearly articulates this. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11 spells out very clearly, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. And he says he did this specifically. He did that. He created it in those six days and rested one day as, a, as an example, as a standard for the week that we experience today. You don't get the seven-day week anywhere in nature other than from the Word of God. That's why God did it that way. Yeah, and Eric, we could go probably make this program a couple hours long just critiquing <laughs> a lot of things. And some of these are going to probably feed other questions that we'll address later in, in future episodes. Not every episode of the Bible Q&A podcast is going to be dealing with the age of the earth. In fact, most of them so far, we haven't really done that. But uh, this is our wheelhouse. This is the things, these are things yeah. we talk about. Let's deal with some of the misrepresentations that he brings up. Because I, I mentioned at the outset that most of what he's saying is misrepresenting our belief. Well, yeah. so he talks about dinosaurs. And he says... So God, here's a quote in his tweets here. So God buried dinosaur bones deep in the earth to trick us. That's the kind of God you believe in. And how exactly do dinosaurs fit in here? Were humans coexisting with velociraptors? Come on. Serious question <laughs> to the young earth folks. I've been debating saying, how do you account for dinosaurs? Did dinosaurs never exist and God put the bones there as a prank? Or were humans coexisting in velo with velociraptors and T-Rexes? And then he said, this, okay, so God put, God said to put two of every animal on the, on the boat, on the ark, but Noah left all the all the dinosaurs off, and then the flood buried the bones in such a way as to separate them specifically from all the other animal bones and make them look like they died 100 million years ago. I mean, these things are absurd. That that I, there's not really a better way to say it. It it's patently absurd to portray our belief that way. We don't believe God put dinosaur bones in the ground to trick us. We don't believe when He created the world, it was full of these things to test our faith. And He says that in the video. That He says that this is what He's heard young Earthers say. Well, no informed creationist says this. You can look on the Answers in Genesis website. You can go to CMI's website. You can go to ICR's website, Creation Today's website. Nobody says that. 
the information's right there for him, and yet he doesn't bother to look. He says in the video that, do you really think that God put the T-Rex and the Brontosaurus and the Triceratops on the ark, and then after the flood they get off and they died, and then their bones fossilized and sank down into the rock layer? No! That's ridiculous. We believe that the dinosaurs were made on day six. They're land animals. They were made the same day as the other land animals, and uh, they lived and died just like the other land animals did. And then during the flood, yes, Noah put two of each kind on the ark. He didn't have to bring the biggest ones. Um, and after the flood, many animals died off since since the time of the flood. Many, not just dinosaurs, went extinct. You've got the um, synapses. This whole class of animals are gone. Uh, you've got a whole bunch of mammals that about half the mammal kinds that we know of are extinct. So it, it, those are things since the time of the flood. But where do the fossils come from? Well, most of them are because they were buried during the flood. And we find evidence, geological evidence, all around the globe for a worldwide flood. The rock layers that we find all over, those sedimentary layers, we find the same rock layer in the Grand Canyon, the Tapit Sandstone. You find that in, not only in Arizona, you find it in Wisconsin, you find it in Israel, you find it in Northern Africa, the same rock layer, meaning it was laid down at the same time across those continents. So how do you explain that from a local flood idea or from uh, you know old earth perspective it doesn't make sense it makes sense with a worldwide flood he says you're telling me that humans lived alongside brontosaurus but i'm the one who needs to do some research he puts that in quotes he says all right well i think this conversation has gone about as far as it can go yeah so in his mind he's just completely closed off to the whole idea that dinosaurs lived uh not millions of years ago but recently and the whole idea that they're they were only buried by themselves not with other animals uh, we find coelacanths which are modern they're fish in the Indian Ocean today, we find those in layers that are beneath the dinosaurs. We find alligators and crocodiles in the same layer as dinosaurs. I mean, it's not as if they're, they're the only creatures that are there are dinosaurs. So he doesn't even understand the, the fossils that are in the, in the geologic record. So he, he botches that, um, completely misrepresents us. So let's go down to where he talks about, um, can you name for me, one legitimate geologist who believes, and he says this, based on geological studies, on his geological studies, that the earth is less than 10,000 years old. Not a geologist who believes in spite of his studies, but because of his studies. Please give me that name and I'll look into him. So let me give you the name of Dr. Andrew Snelling. He's one of my colleagues. He's a PhD geologist. Um, I think it's University of Sydney, I think is where he got his PhD in Australia. But he believes the Bible is true. He believes that there was a worldwide flood. And what he sees out there in the world Everything he sees confirms that to him. It isn't that he comes to it and looks at the layers and says, oh, you know, I think that that adds up to exactly 6,000 years. But what he can look at and say, oh, you know what? All these were laid down at the, uh, roughly the same time. He can look at it and say, I see evidence that these things were laid down rapidly. And they all occurred, most of these layers occurred during a huge event that covered the entire globe. Well, that sure sounds like what the Bible talks about in Genesis uh, seven and eight, the worldwide flood. So yeah, he can talk to Dr. Snelling about that if he wants to. In fact, Matt, come on to the creation museum, to the Ark Encounter. I'll give you a tour, or maybe we'll have Ken give you a tour and you can meet some actual scientists who really believe the Bible and, um, are not going to just ridicule you. Uh, but, and, and they're not stupid individuals as you're making them sound. Uh, they're, they're very intelligent. So, Come on down and we'd be happy to show you around. But really, if you think about the quote, Matt's showing that he thinks science is more important than scripture on this matter. 
And that really is, that's what we started at the beginning, and that really is the conclusion here at the end, is that Matt is taking science over Scripture, and we put it the other way around. It is Scripture over science. Well, it's, it's not, that, let's clarify that. It's not just Scripture over science as much as it's Scripture over the, the um, explanations of fallible people about what we might have seen in the past. We would say that true science will always line up with the right interpretation of Scripture. Correct. Um, so it isn't. It's not science versus the Bible. You got to pick one or the other. It's not that. It is the right interpreta- interpretation of Scripture. Which, let's be honest, people get that wrong. And Agree. Versus the right interpretation of the the world, the physical world around us. And but when I like, for example, when I say that, here's what I mean. I, I, how many times has the Bible had something that was written there and it, it was there for a long time, and then later on, science comes along and finds out, oh my goodness. This is very interesting. Uh, the, the paths of the sea, that was written about in Psalms thousands of years ago. We discovered that a couple hundred years ago. The life of the flesh is in the blood, written in the Bible. We discovered that years later. Well, I, and not, only, not like, only that, but also just the, the number of archaeological finds and things that... Yeah, historical science and, and yeah. actual archaeology. Um, the, the idea that the sins of the father are passed to the third and fourth generation is now something that is coming out in the scientific literature. Uh, blows my mind some of these things that the Bible talks about that that I go, look, it, it's always been ahead of the game. It really has. And until we discover these things, we're, we're, the more science we discover, the more it unpackages the Bible and shows the Bible, wow, it really has been true all along. Also, and just another misrepresentation here real quick, and we're going to wrap it up. We don't have time to get into this one too much. But he, he says this, also, no one explained how, given the speed of light, uh, stars millions of light years away could possibly be visible to us in a 10,000-year-old universe. That fact alone is absolutely insurmountable for young Earth people. So from what I've seen, they just ignore it. No, Matt, there's books on this. There have been young Earth creationist astronomers who have been wrestling with this and dealing with this for decades. And it wouldn't take very long for you to find this out. In fact, there are at least five or six major different proposals that have come forward over the last 40, 50 years to explain this. And some of them have since been rejected. You know, the light being created in transit is one of the views. The speed of light slowing down. I think that was Barry Setterfield, the, the, or the CDK model. That's been largely rejected. But people are trying to deal with it. You've got uh, Jason Lyle's got alternate synchrony conventions. You've got Russell Humphrey's white hole cosmology. Danny Faulkner has his own view. There, people are wrestling with this. For him to say they just ignore it, that they don't even deal with it, that they, they just think that it, you know, that it's devastating their view. Matt, that's just false. And it would not take you very long at all to do a Google search to find out, yeah, there are young Earth astronomers dealing with this. But here's what Matt doesn't understand. The people who believe in the Big Bang in the billions of years, they have the exact same problem. It's called the horizon problem. Look it up. They don't have enough time, even in the 13 to 14 billion year range, to get heat to all the different places in the universe that they think exists there. So they have the same problem. And that's usually what gets ignored. So he's misrepresenting young earth creations by saying, oh, they don't even deal with it. Let me, let's just conclude this way, Eric. In his conclusion of the video, he accuses young earth creations of pushing the idea that God created things with the appearance of age. And we've already talked about that. We, that's not what we say. Um, the, the universe, the earth, they were created functional. So when the fruit trees were there on day three, guess what? They had fruit on them. He made them in one day. If we were to look at it from a distance and look at it, we'd probably say, yeah, according to the way we know how fruit trees grow, it might take you 10 to 20 years to get those trees there. But they were made on that day. 
because God did things miraculously. That's what he's doing during that time. Let there be, and, it, and it, there was. He's speaking it into existence, just like Jesus spoke and healed people, just like Jesus spoke and raised people from the dead, just like Jesus spoke and calmed the wind and the waves and the storm. It happened right when he said it. It's not like it happened over the course of decades or millions of years later, you know, slow and gradual. It happened when he said it. So the whole appearance of age thing is, is a complete misnomer. But then he says that young earth creations make God deceptive, and this is devastating. And he's saying that we're misrepresenting God because we are saying that God is being deceptive in how he creates things. Well, Matt, you're the one who's misrepresenting our position here, and that's what makes it look like we're misrepresenting God. You're upset that we're misrepresenting God. And yet the entire time you're misrepresenting young earth creationists. Yeah. So if it's wrong to lie, why is it okay for you to misrepresent, which would technically be a lie. Now, maybe you're doing it out of ignorance, which it seems like you are uh, ign I'm ignorance of our position. I'm not saying he's an ignorant person. He doesn't understand things. Just <laughs> you gotta be careful these days. People um, yeah, take, take everything out of context. I don't think no, that's but it. if you've never studied this, if you've never heard this, if you, like I said, I meet people all the time who said, I never, I present information. They go, I've never heard any of this before. And so they are, they were ignorant. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And that, that's what I mean. It's just in this context, I'm not accusing them of being an ignorant person elsewhere. Um, you know, we all have areas that we don't understand real well, but, uh, you know, I would encourage him to take, um, take a few days and actually read the things that we write and watch. There's hundreds and hundreds of videos online that he can watch. He doesn't have to agree with us at the end of the day. He doesn't have to like what we're saying, but at least understand what the position is. At least try to understand a view that you're criticizing and saying you don't believe. No wonder you don't believe it because what you think about it is ridiculous. You, you, <laughs> you we don't, don't believe know. what you don't believe either. Right. <laughs> that's that's a good way to put it. Way. Yeah, that's exactly right. So if that was the view, I wouldn't believe it either. But um, he just, he it's a big swing and a miss in this video. Time and time and time again, he doesn't even accurately explain the view. So when he criticizes it, he's criticizing a straw man. He's torching a straw man over and over and over again. And it was really sad because we need to do better. Um, no. We all need to do better. If we're going to critique a view, if we're going to critique a person, understand who they, understand their view, understand what they believe and critique that view. And, don't attack the person. I, I hope that we've been uh, respectful in this. I, I, I don't think that I've said anything personal against Matt himself. Um, it's what he's saying that is, is so wrong. Yeah. And I'll say once again, Matt, we appreciate what you do. Thank you for being a conservative voice out there. I uh, would love for you to get a little bit more information on what you were critiquing specifically on Young Earth Creation, because I think uh, I think it opened your eyes and you'd be pretty blown away. I think so too. And you know what? It, here's what it really comes down to. Um, and this goes for, for any listener, for any person, uh, whether you're a Christian or not, or whether you're a professing Christian or not. Um, it isn't about, ultimately, it's not about what do you believe about the age of the earth, but what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Did yeah. he die on the cross for your sins? and then rise from the dead three days later. Um, did, are you placing your faith in him alone for eternal life? Or are you uh, trusting in your your good works or your church or your, your group or whatever? Um, if you're trusting in what you can do or what other people do for you rather than what God has done for you, well, then there's a problem. So our faith is not based, our, our faith is not dependent on, well, let's put it this way. 
you don't have to be a young earth creationist and agree with us in order to trust that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead. But to be consistent for that message, if Adam's sin didn't bring death and suffering into the world, then why is the, the solution to sin and the solution to death the physical death of Jesus on the cross and the, the bodily physical resurrection from the grave? If sin and death have no connection, which is what old earth creationists believe, which is what Matt believes, then the gospel doesn't really make sense. Um, you can still believe it and still be saved, but it doesn't really make sense. Well, Matt, thank you for bringing this subject to light in the world once again and showing this is not a dead issue. The debate is not over. This really is a conversation that is healthy to have as long as we have it in a healthy way. So yep. I appreciate that. All right. Well, that was a different kind of episode for us, wasn't it? It definitely was. And and we had to skip a lot of stuff. There's so much more that we could go through here. It's it's fascinating. To yeah, that could have been enjoyed. a two or three hour one easily. But yeah. um, you know, if you've got questions on some of those other things, send those in to bqa at creationtoday.org or on any other matters related to the Bible or uh, church history or Christian theology, send them in. Uh, we've got a great show planned for episode number seven. So yes. uh, come I'm looking forward to the questions for next week, man. Those are going to be good. Yeah, we'll have a lot of fun with that one, and uh, it, we'll get back to our old um, way of old, our established way of doing things after just five <laughs> podcast episodes. <laughs> I love it. We're already getting uh, traditional here. We already got it figured. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. But hey, today we broke the mold. We're not stuck in a groove, right? Yep. Hey, Tim, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great, great being with you today. You've been listening to the Bible Q and A podcast. If you have a question you would like Tim and Eric to address on the program please send an email to bqa at creationtoday.org. The views expressed on the Bible Q&A podcast do not necessarily represent those of other ministries with which Tim and Eric are affiliated. Thank you for listening.